0: Invite you to turn with me and your Bibles to the text for the sermon this Lord's day. Daniel chapter four, verses one through eight. Daniel 4 verses 1 through 8. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs! And how mighty are his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream. Then came in the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers, and I told the dream before them, but they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, and we'll hold off on that dream until, God willing, next Lord's Day. But these verses, as have been read, God bless not only the reading, but the preaching of his holy word today. Proverbs 21.1 declares the absolute sovereignty of God over all rulers, especially those who think they are so high and mighty, like Nebuchadnezzar. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, as the rivers of water eternity, whithersoever he will. Whoever, whithersoever he, God, wills. There is perhaps not a more graphic display in all of scripture of the truth that we have just read in Proverbs 21.1 than what is recorded here for us in Daniel chapter 4. For Almighty God literally turned the heart of a very proud King Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest ruler of that time ruling over the greatest amount of territory, the the largest empire at that time in history. Turned him from a proud king, boasting and gloating over his own military exploits and his architectural accomplishments, to think and act like a cow of the field. The Lord may, dear ones, not turn... Rulers who are proud today into cows lowing in the fields, as he did Nebuchadnezzar, but proud rulers that rule by tyranny and not by God's law, become morally insane and become beast-like. In fact, as we'll see in, later on in Daniel, as Daniel depicts a, 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 another dream that he receives and, and God depicts to Daniel the rulers and the empires and the nations, these mighty kingdoms, he depicts them as wild beasts. They become beast-like when they do not submit themselves unto the authority of God in his law and in his word. They become, as it were, morally insane, doing what is foolish. And we see the foolishness every day by way of the immorality and the laws that are enacted. This is God turning them over to their own moral insanity. And the same is true of us as individuals. If We boast in ourselves... We will become foolish. If we turn our, our our lives, our minds, our hearts away from the living God, from the Lord Jesus Christ, to walk in our own ways rather than his ways, we'll become fools. We'll become foolish. We'll become morally insane. We will not be able to distinguish the difference between what is right and what is wrong. However, boast in Christ, glory in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, and we will become wise. When rulers, and for that matter, all people in general, when rulers do not willingly submit themselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ, the Lord has his own ways of getting our attention getting the attention of rulers, humbling them just as he humbled proud King Nebuchadnezzar. Dear ones, let me admonish you. Let us not test the Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth, by proudly challenging his his lordship, his sovereign authority Over us and over all that we have. It is all His, everything that we have. It is all His before and after He gives it unto us. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn the hard way that it is God that reigns over all, not man that rules over all. Let us learn, not the hard way, let us, by God's grace, learn the easy way by hearing God's word. Receiving God's word as faithful and as true and walking in loving obedience to it. The main points from our text this Lord's Day are the following. First of all, A worldwide edict, Daniel 4, verses 1 through 3. The second main point, a terrifying dream, in Daniel 4, 4 through 5. And the third, final main point, a failure of man's wisdom once again, in Daniel 4, verses 6 through 8. So first of all, a worldwide edict. Look with me at verses 1 through 3 of Daniel 4. Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders! His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. To generation. Daniel chapter 4 is included by the Holy Spirit in this inspired book of Daniel, even though a great portion of this chapter was not written by Daniel, but was rather written by a heathen king, Nebuchadnezzar. Significant portions of Daniel chapter 4 are written in the first person. Nebuchadnezzar being the speaker in chapter 4 verses 1 through 18, chapter 4 verses 34 through 37. You'll find the speaker, Nebuchadnezzar, in the first person speaking. As Daniel penned this chapter, included it in the book of Daniel, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He was supernaturally directed to include the personal testimony of the greatest king that lived at that time, that governed the most territory, had the greatest empire at that time in history. For what reason? Well, Daniel 4, verse 37, summarizes the reason. This is at the very last verse of this chapter. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. That's why, that's why the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar is included here in the first person. Thus this chapter in Daniel and in the Bible is no less inspired or any less true than any of the other chapters in Daniel or any of the other chapters found in the 66 books of the Bible. It is to be received with full confidence as God's word to us today. Though there is no specific date attached to this chapter to indicate when the spectacular events recorded herein occurred. We have, however, some indication that this was toward the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign and life. Note, and we'll get to this in in a few minutes here, but note what it says in Daniel 4.4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. doesn't just mean he was taking a nap uh, when it says, I was at rest. What he is describing here most likely is uh, a rest and peace from all of his enemies. That by this time he had uh, conquered and brought into his empire all of the surrounding kingdoms and nations And now he was at peace. Uh, He didn't have any more nations or kings to battle. Uh, They were all subdued unto Nebuchadnezzar. And as a result, uh, he had focused, after those battles were over, he had focused upon uh, the glory of his kingdom by building up the city of Babylon. Uh, Some of the greatest architectural wonders were found in Babylon, the Hanging Gardens. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world uh, were found in Babylon, built by Nebuchadnezzar, but also many other buildings and the walls, uh, the enormous walls, all of Babylon. (coughs) And so when it says of Nebuchadnezzar, he says that he was at rest and that he was flourishing. This would indicate he probably has accomplished what he had set out to accomplish militarily and uh, as well as all of the building projects that he had planned as well to accomplish. Look at verse 30 of this chapter, Daniel 4.30 as well, where it says, The king spake and said, now this is before... Uh, God takes uh, his sanity from him, gives him this infirmity of of insanity. Uh, And so it's just before this happens. Uh, The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon? Notice, that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. So he's he's again, at this point in his life, uh, boasting and uh, patting himself on the back for all that he's accomplished uh, throughout his reign. And so this probably puts, again, uh, what we read here in Daniel 4 at the end of his life, not at the beginning of his reign, but at the end, after he has accomplished so much. Uh, in fact, secular historians, Abedinus, one, for one, uh, who was a Greek historian, writing about the year 268 BC, and Barosus, who was a Babylonian priest of the false god Marduk. Uh, Marduk was the, the, the Babylonian god whom Nebuchadnezzar uh, worshipped. Uh, Barosus was writing about the year 290 BC. Both of these men from ancient history seem to confirm the extraordinary events that are related in this chapter, Daniel chapter 4, which we'll consider in a later sermon, not today. And they both place these certain unusual, extraordinary events toward the end of Nebuchadnezzar's reign. Well, after... God brings insanity upon Nebuchadnezzar for his great pride and boasting of himself. Uh, that insanity, we're told, as we'll see it in a, a future sermon, was for a stated period of, of says seven years in the English text. It literally is seven times seven times, which may mean seven years, and we'll look at that as well uh, as we proceed through this chapter. And after God delivered him from his insanity and restored his mental capacity to him, the king then sent this royal edict that we have just read in verses 1 through 3 throughout his whole empire giving glory to the high God. This is the quote, this is what he says, to the high God in Daniel 4.2. And in Daniel 4.37 he says, to the king of heaven. Remember with me that this is not the, the first miraculous encounter that Nebuchadnezzar has had with Jehovah God. Uh, you remember first there was uh, the dream in Daniel chapter 2 uh, that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar of this image that had various metals that composed it and represented different kingdoms. That was the dream given to him and Daniel, by uh, inspiration of, of God, is able to tell the king, uh, the king had forgotten the dream, tell the king what he had dreamt as well as the interpretation of the dream. So certainly he experienced Jehovah in that Situation. Likewise, there was a second uh, exposure to Jehovah in a very direct way uh, in the deliverance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in chapter 3 from that fiery furnace. And on both occasions, Nebuchadnezzar uh, honors the Lord as being the supreme God among his many gods, being the supreme God. For example, in Daniel 2.47, after the interpretation of, of the dream, Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we read, The king answered unto Daniel and said, Of a truth it is that your God, not my God, but your God is a God of gods, and a Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, seeing thou couldst reveal the secret. Notice also in Daniel 3.29, after <clears throat> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are delivered from the fiery furnace, notice what Nebuchadnezzar says, Therefore I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against The God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, again, not my God, but the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. This encounter with the Jehovah God in Daniel 4, however, is unique. It's different in some ways, Uh, than the previous encounters that Nebuchadnezzar had with Jehovah God. The previous encounters that he had uh, with Jehovah uh, were that he witnessed, he observed, he witnessed the power of Almighty God. But in this particular instance, in Daniel chapter 4, he personally... He not only witnesses it, but he personally experiences the power and the wisdom of Almighty God because God took away from him his sanity and gave to him insanity. And then he restored unto him his sanity after seven times or seven years and restored his kingdom unto him so this particular encounter with Jehovah is quite unique he knows uh, because he went through it he experienced it in his own mind in his own heart, in his own body so Daniel 4.1 uh, this is a very familiar type of salutation and greeting that would come from a king to his people Uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all people, nations, languages that dwell in the earth peace be multiplied unto you and then in verses 2 through 3 the king uh, gives the reason for the edict that he is about to um, mention very specifically and the reason, he says, is, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. <clears throat> and so the reason for this edict that goes out throughout the world at that time is to bring attention, to bring honor to whom he calls the High God, who had humbled him by way of miraculous signs and wonders which he personally experienced. As noted <clears throat> here, he calls Jehovah the High God, but he does not call Jehovah the true God. He does not call Jehovah the only, the one and true Living God. We do not hear here that Nebuchadnezzar repented of his idolatry. We do not read that he separated himself from the gods of Babylon uh, in this chapter. In fact, in verse eight of this chapter, when um, Daniel comes in to the gathering of the wise men, When he enters uh, it's noted by uh, in the text whose name was Belteshazzar according to the name of my god which was the god Bel, Bel Bel-Marduk was the supreme god uh, in Babylon, that was the god uh, that they worshipped above all the lesser gods was Bel-Marduk and so uh, it's noted by Nebuchadnezzar that he uh, had his name Daniel, which was his Hebrew name, had been given. He had been given a Babylonian name, which basically extolled uh, Bel-Marduk. And so this would, again, indicate that Nebuchadnezzar had not forsaken, had not cast away uh, all of his gods uh, that he served. He simply was recognizing, honoring the fact that he could not explain away uh, how the one true living God, Jehovah, had worked in these various ways in Daniel two and Daniel three and in Daniel four in such a conspicuous and mighty way, and he's simply acknowledging this. Again, God is is putting these words within uh, the mouth of Nebuchadnezzar to give testimony that even a heathen king had to praise almighty God Here Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that Je- Jehovah works miracles and that his kingdom, God's kingdom, God's dominion is supreme, is unchangeable and is everlasting Nebuchadnezzar was brought to see how temporary his own kingdom was, how temporary his own dominion was, his own rule, his own power, because it was taken from him. But he acknowledges that whereas his kingdom is temporary and it can be taken from him, no one can take God's dominion. No one can take God's kingdom from him. It's from everlasting to everlasting. <clears throat> and that is the sovereign dominion and kingdom that has been granted even to our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ who rules over all the kingdoms of this world to the benefit of his beloved bride as Ephesians 1, 20 through 22 states that all things, all dominions, all powers, all kingdoms all have been placed underneath his feet to the good and the benefit of his church. This is high praise and indeed coming from a pagan king that we can't simply pass it off. And that's the very point for including his testimony here. Even a heathen king, a most proud king, is so humbled by God that he sends an edict to honor God throughout his whole empire. This is, dear ones, not only the sinful pride of King Nebuchadnezzar, it's the sinful pride of rulers, sadly, throughout all history. They do not own that Jesus Christ rules over all, that Jesus Christ, according to God's word, is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he's the prince of the kingdoms of this world. And they are called by God. They are called to be the minister of God to us for good. Not good as they define good, but good as God defines good. Good, they are to be the ministers of God for our good as it is articulated by God's word, by God's law, by God's commandments not by the mere commandments of men because that which man calls good is so often evil and corrupt because it's not in accordance with God's righteousness and God's holiness. The kings and the rulers of this age manifest such pride and that pride Leads to tyranny that pride on the part of man leads to corruption in high places and that pride that tyranny and that corruption will be their downfall just as it was Nebuchadnezzar's downfall dear ones as we move to the next main point just before doing so Look at what proud Nebuchadnezzar had to suffer. Look at what he had to experience by way of God's mighty works in his life in order, as it were, to drag forth from him the praise and the honor due unto the Most High God. May God not have to drag his praise and thankfulness from our hearts regardless of what he brings into our lives by way of taking things that we love, people that we love from us, regardless of what he brings into our lives, regardless of what he takes from our lives. But may his praise, may his glory, may thankfulness to him flow forth so freely, freely, especially we who are the beloved children of the living God, the special objects of his love, of his amazing love and of his amazing grace in Jesus Christ. There should not have to be uh, dragged from us. It should flow from, from our lips willingly, from our hearts willingly, that even in the darkest of times, he reigns, he rules. He is using everything in our lives for our good and for his glory. Second main point, a terrifying dream, verses 4 through 5. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Beginning in Daniel 4.4, 4, Nebuchadnezzar now takes us back in time to how all these miraculous signs and wonders began. They all began uh, at a time, he says, when he had accomplished so much by way of military power, imperial conquests, at a time of architectural Uh, beauty and riches that he had attained beyond measure. He was at rest, he was flourishing when all of these events came upon him. He believed he was now ready to kick back, to sit back and to enjoy in peace and rest all of the fruits of his labor that he could now glory in all of his accomplishments. It was kind of like, uh, if you will, the wealthy man in Christ's parable in Luke chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. I read that for you just to remind you what Jesus said there. And he said unto them, that is Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth, And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he. And this is the point of the parable. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. <clears throat> Dear ones, as Christians, we never retire from being servants in Christ's kingdom. We may retire from an earthly vocation but we never retire from being Christ's servants within his kingdom. There Everyone's retirement and what we have worked so hard to attain in this life, retirement from an earthly vocation should only give us more opportunities to be useful in his kingdom, in Christ's kingdom. Until our last breath, May we be those who are ever employed in the work of our God, the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. May it be what is on our mind, his kingdom, glorifying him, enjoying him. May it be what is on our mind when we awake in the morning, during the day, and as we lay our head upon our pillow at night. May that consume us, not the cares of this world, not the treasures of this world, may glorifying him, serving him, be that which consumes us. Dear ones, let us not rust out, but let us wear out for Jesus and earnestly long to hear from him those glorious words at our death Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Whether you have, dear ones, a physical disability, whether you are a youth, whether you have had some major change or loss that has come into your life, you can... And you must still use your time, use your talents, use your financial resources to build Christ's kingdom. No excuses for any of us, no excuses. And so, our ease, our comfort here in this world is not a timed. Relax when it comes to Christ's kingdom. It is actually a time to become even more energetic and useful in Christ's kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar here relates how he once again had a dream that greatly disturbed him. In verse 5, and he says, I saw a dream which made me afraid and the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Very similar to what we read the first dream that God gave to Nebuchadnezzar back in Daniel 2.1. And in the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar dreamed dreams wherewith his spirit was troubled and his sleep break from him. This dream brought fear upon Nebuchadnezzar No doubt, having received already a very significant dream the first time back in Daniel 2, God impressed upon Nebuchadnezzar in in this particular chapter, impressed upon him that this dream was also of some very special significance as well. And so troubled him that he needed to know what this dream meant, which brings us to the third and final main point a failure of man's wisdom once again in verses 6 through 8 therefore made I a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known unto me the interpretation of the dream then came in the magicians the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers and I told the dream before them But they did not make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And before him I told the dream, saying, Once again, just as he had done with the previous dream back in Daniel 2.2, the king sent for all the wise men in Babylon to come before him and to interpret uh, his troubling dream. There are, are, however, two noticeable differences between Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to the first dream in Daniel 2 and his reaction to the second dream in Daniel 4. First noticeable difference between his reaction to these two dreams is this. This time the king did not command his wise men to tell him what he had dreamed. He had done that the first time. They had to tell him what he had dreamed. But only in this instance, they only needed to tell Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of the dream because he remembered this time what the dream was whereas the first time he did not remember what the dream was. Another difference between Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to the first dream and to the second dream, this time the king did not threaten to cut into pieces the wise men if they did not interpret the dream as he did with the wise men in the first dream perhaps in the back of nebuchadnezzar his mind perhaps back in, uh, he he knew he knew the god of daniel would reveal the interpretation of the dream just as that had happened the first time around perhaps he realized that the god of daniel would would again come through and therefore he didn't need to threaten As he did the first time around with cutting them into pieces. But God ordained the order here first, the worldly wise men of uh, Nebuchadnezzar to come before him and to say, We can't interpret this dream for you, just to be able to show the difference between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. Had Daniel come first and interpreted the dream, there had been no reason for the wise men to appear at all. But it was, again, to show the failure of earthly wisdom in comparison to the infinite wisdom of Almighty God. But there's also some similarities between the two dreams. What was the same between the two dreams was that the wise men were called and the wise men failed to interpret the dream. That was true of both dreams. The wisdom of men, again, we need to learn from this, the wisdom of men is limited and corrupted by sin. We call that total depravity. That due to the sin of Adam, that original sin is passed on from generation to generation, from person to person. And it corrupts our whole nature. It corrupts our, our thinking, it corrupts our affections, it corrupts our will, it corrupts wisdom. So that worldly wisdom falls far short and bears no semblance at times to the wisdom of God. And in fact, the wisdom of the world is often very the opposite to the wisdom of God. And so, that being the case, why then do professing Christians turn to the wise men of this world for answers to life's questions? Turning to, for example, turning to unbelieving psychologists or so-called Christian psychologists that are using worldly models for therapy or for marital counseling rather than turning to Jesus Christ in whom, according to Colossians 2-3, in whom all wisdom... And all knowledge dwells. Colossians 2 3, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 3 16. Paul says, Let the word of Christ, that is the scripture, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In all wisdom. Do any of us lack wisdom? Yes, we all lack wisdom. Where are we going to find the wisdom that we need? In Christ, it is word. And in James 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The wisdom of God is found in Christ, it's found in reading his word, and it's found in practicing his word. We can't expect to gain in wisdom if we're not doing what God has already revealed to us by way of wisdom and his word. We cannot expect that we're going to be wise men and women, young people, singles, married couples, children, if we are not and if we have no desire to apply the wisdom that we find in his word. That's what James 3.17 is saying. That's the wisdom that's from above. It's pure wisdom. It's peaceable. It's gentle. It's easy to be entreated. It's full of mercy and good fruits and without partiality and without hypocrisy. Sadly, Dear One's the reason so often that professing Christians don't want the wisdom of Jesus Christ is because the wisdom of Jesus Christ takes us down a narrow road that forces us to look at our own sin and our own need of Jesus Christ. And we, apart from God's grace, don't want to do that. We'd rather focus merely upon the sin of others. We'd rather... focus on the world's way rather than Christ's way, which takes the world's way, takes us down, not a narrow path, but a broad path that is approved by the vast majority of people and that does not have us deal with our own sin, that does not turn us unto Jesus Christ to find in him again, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In verse 8, the wise, wise men of Babylon having failed, I love the way that this is worded, they fail, and then verse 8 begins, but at the last, Daniel. Here comes Daniel, a man of God, filled with the wisdom of God. But at the last, Daniel came in before me. God once again had the worldly wise men first apply their limited and corrupt knowledge so as to see their failure, and then God brought in his wise man. He brought him forward to reveal his, that is God's, unsearchable knowledge and infinite wisdom. King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges that there was some extraordinary presence of divinity with Daniel when he says, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Uh, That could actually be translated uh, using the same words that are translated uh, in our English text here, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. It could actually be translated... Uh, in in whom is the spirit of the holy God. Because, again, the word used both in Hebrew and Aramaic for God is in the plural. And depending upon the context, it can refer to uh, uh, the false gods of the pagans or it can refer to the one true holy God. Uh, And so here it may be translated and I believe probably does refer to Jehovah God, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. The pagans never referred to their gods as holy. And so probably the words here are not referring to the pagan gods, but Nebuchadnezzar is saying, in whom this, uh, is the spirit of the holy God, whom he had himself experienced previously in Daniel 2 and Daniel 3. And so the testimony of Daniel was, and I close with some consideration and application on this point, in Daniel dwelt the spirit of the Holy God. It was evident that God's spirit was abiding within him. It was apparent even to a heathen king that a holy God was within him. And so I ask us all, do those closest to us and those who know us best, our spouse, our children, our parents, our co-workers, Our friends, do they recognize that there is in us the Spirit of the Holy God? Is that what they seek? How will they know that that there is within us the Spirit of the Holy God if we act just like the world? If we're walking the same broad path as the world? If we are proud and self-seeking if we are bitter and resentful and unforgiving. If we tear down one another like the world does. If we use profane and vulgar language. If our, if our conversation is filled for the most part about the things of this world and not about Christ. Not about our blessed Savior and what he has done and accomplished in our lives by way of his saving grace and mercy to us. And so I ask you, dear ones, do you care? Do you care at all whether the spirit of the holy God is seen in you? Do you act like you care? If you don't care, I submit to you, something is clearly wrong. Something is clearly wrong. If you do care, then you'll begin by looking to Jesus Christ because there is no hope, dear ones. There is no hope for wisdom and knowledge, true wisdom and knowledge outside of Christ. There is no hope for us apart from Jesus Christ. No hope for us because of our corruption, our sin. Uh, We will destroy ourselves by way of our own sin. No one will have to destroy us. We'll do it ourselves, apart from Jesus Christ. And then, looking to Christ, we look to his forgiveness. We look to repentance that he grants to us. We look to obeying him and walking, delighting in his commandments. Oh, how love I thy laws, my meditation all the day long. Dear you can only be transformed by the renewing of your mind as Romans 12, 1 through 2 says that we are to be. Be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can only be renewed in our minds by spending time daily in communion with Jesus in prayer and in his word. It is only by way of familiarity and closeness and nearness to Jesus Christ that we begin to look more like Jesus Christ. There are no shortcuts. It is only by communion with Christ that we will look like him. Remember, dear ones, this truth. We become and look like those with whom We desire to spend our time. Those with whom we desire to spend our time. If we desire to spend our time with the world, worldly entertainment, uh, that's what really we desire more than anything else. Uh, Those who profane the name of God. Uh, If we desire to look at uh, pornography. If we desire to listen to... Lyrics and music that does not glorify God, that that brings shame and dishonor upon the Lord. That's what we're going to look like. That's how we're going to act. That's how we're going to think. Because that's who we consider to be closest and nearest to us. But if it's Jesus, and Jesus is who we want to look like, then we must spend time with him in prayer daily must spend time with him and his word if we spend our time with the world we will become worldly if we spend time with Jesus and his word we will become Christ-like and so I leave you with this question as a close who do you want to look like You want to look like the world or you want to look like Jesus. It's either one or the other. It can't be both. Choose ye this day whom you will serve, whom you will choose by God's grace to look like and then spend time with the one That you want to look like. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. Our Lord and our God, thou art great and mighty. Even pagan kings have given thee honor. And praise, even if it was not from a heart of of faith, the Lord were in effect brought to do so because they could not deny the mighty works of God. We pray our Lord that that thou would give to us that voice of praise and thanksgiving, and that it would not have to be dragged from us, but that Lord it would freely flow from us because thou art most mighty, gracious. Let us not be, Lord, like proud Nebuchadnezzar that had to be taught the hard way, but, Lord, let us be those who are tender in heart and that, Lord God, we would learn the easy way, that we would willingly submit ourselves unto thee and walk, Lord, in thy ways. Have mercy upon us, Lord, for our hearts by nature are very rebellious but Father subdue our rebellion subdue that conflict within us that we would willingly cheerfully delight to look like Jesus and to spend time with Jesus in fellowship and communion and prayer the reading of his word and in worship in family, in the family and in worship with God's people on the Lord's day. Hear our prayers, our Lord, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.